pray for people. Oh, pray for people. Oh, I'm kind of, that, that kind of makes me awkward. Well, you know, that's, the, the, welcome to the Christian life. Uh, if you're going to follow Jesus, you're going to feel awkward as a way of life. And I don't know if you know this, but our culture is completely wrapped up in wanting you to feel comfortable everywhere you go. Everywhere. I mean, it's, uh, service is, is, is just tailored to you. You know, when, when you go online and you surf from site to site to site, they track your movements and they tailor ads to your demographic, to your activities. Uh, they, everything, the, the music when you go in, the lights, you know, uh, the, 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 the very words that people speak when you step up to the counter, it's all about making you feel comfortable uh, so that there can be some transaction. And, and it's, not all, it's not bad. I mean, I like it that people are polite and respectful to me. And, you know, I walk into a, a, a building and it's, it's, it's nice temperature to walk into. But uh, the, the kingdom of God to experience it just requires us to be vulnerable and it requires us to be open-hearted and to be childlike. And uh, that means we're going to get pushed out of our comfort zone. And I, I, I just want to reiterate that because, I mean, that's going to be a lot of what you're going to hear over the, the next couple of months as we talk about emotionally healthy spirituality. But sometimes, let me, let me get into the talk here. Uh, sometimes things look great on the surface, but underneath, uh, things are a disaster. Okay, here's some famous quotes. Don't worry about it. It's nothing, said U.S. Navy Seaman Kermit Tyler on December 7th, 1941, as the radar screen he looked at had just picked up a large formation of planes heading toward Hawaii. Uh, that was what was happening before Pearl Harbor was bombed. Uh, President William McKinley in August 1901, a few days before his assassination, said, I have no enemies. What do I have to fear? Digital equipment chairman Ken Olson said in 1977, there's no reason for any individual to have a computer in their home. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> have you ever heard of digital equipment? Uh, <laughs> yeah, somebody heard of them. Uh, you don't hear of them anymore, do you? Now, maybe they've changed names and they're some big company. But uh, Sometimes things don't look very good on the outside, but inside they really are. For example, uh, the Grand Ole Opry manager in 1954 hired this young singer, and he sang once, and then he fired him after that, and he said, Son, you ain't going nowhere. You ought to go back to driving a truck. Elvis Presley ignored him, <laughs> kept singing. Uh, a Munich teacher in, 19, uh, excuse me, in 1889 said to a 10-year-old boy, uh, you're not going to amount to much. Turned out he was, the little boy was Albert Einstein. Uh, and a CBS producer said to Barbara Walters in 1958, with your voice, no one's going to let you broadcast. So... People can uh, miss the obvious, 
Things can be all right on the outside, bad on the inside. Things can be bad on the outside and good on the inside. And things are not always how they appear to be. So we're going to start a church-wide initiative. And on Sunday nights, we're going to have a course called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And it's going to track along with the talks that we do on Sunday morning, which we're doing this one a few weeks ahead. So just kind of giving you a foretaste. But uh, I want to read to you, if you could flip up to that next slide. We're going to deal with today that the problem of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So look at these. These are the problems of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. This is how we're going to address them over the eight weeks of the course. First, we're going to focus on the problem, what it looks like, which we'll talk a little bit about today. Second, you need to know yourself so you can know God. Third, you need to go back in order to go forward. Fourth, in order to move forward in emotionally healthy spirituality, you need to, you're going to press through a wall. Fifth, we need to learn to enlarge our souls through grief and loss. Sixth, we're going to discover the rhythms of the daily office and Sabbath. Some of you are familiar with this, so uh, it won't be new. Seventh, how to grow into an emotionally mature adult. And then last, go to the next step and develop a rule of life. Uh, icebergs, if you know much about icebergs, icebergs are these huge chunks of ice that float in the water, and most of their mass is under the water. So you don't see most of it. You just see what's above water. And this is a picture of what our inner life presents a challenge for us is we see the outside, but we don't see what's going on on the inside. And we have to learn to look beneath the surface. And in a second, I'm going to read uh, the story of a man named Saul. And he was anointed as the king of Israel. But Saul's problem was he lacked this deep spiritual life, and he lacked a healthy emotional life. And both these things, as, as they say, came back to bite him as he went on because uh, all of us start off lacking uh, a deep spiritual life and usually not a great emotional life. But what Saul did was he didn't cultivate either of those. And so God gave him some real clear instructions to obey, and he didn't obey them. In fact, not only did he not obey them, he made excuses for it, and he didn't feel any guilt about it, and, and it, was a, it was a significant problem in his life. And he was the type of person that, on the outside, he was this uh, impressive person. He was a, uh, quite a warrior, a natural leader. He had a lot of things going for him, and as you looked at him, you thought, wow, this guy has it together. But the truth was, his life is a perfect example of how you can't be spiritually mature unless you're also emotionally healthy. And how these two things are inseparably linked. And in 1 Samuel 15, 20 to 24, I want to read this story. When, when the prophet Samuel called Saul on the carpet about his partial obedience, that he only did a little bit of what God wanted, and, and the most important things that God wanted done, Saul didn't do them. And he justified himself. And he had, a, you know, he had his own reason for why 
it, it seemed a little better to, to, to do what he thought needed to be done instead of what God wanted. And plus the people didn't like God's instructions either. And so Saul kind of went along with the people. But it also kind of left him off the hook. Because if he would obey God, it would have been really a challenging thing for him and for the people. And in 1 Samuel chapter 15, 20 to 24, Paul, I mean Saul, when, when Samuel confronted him, he said, But I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agag, their king. The soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God, in order to sacrifice them to the Lord, your God, at Gilgal. But Samuel replied, this is a famous passage, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord? And he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed, or to listen, is better than the fat of rams. For rebellion is like the sin of witchcraft, and arrogance or pride like the evil of idolatry. Because you've rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you as king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned. I violated the Lord's commands in your instructions. I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Now I beg you, forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. And uh, anyway, there's an unfortunate little situation right after this, but uh, Saul is a, is, is a perfect example of, of what unhealthy spirituality and unhealthy emotional spirituality looks like. And I want to show you three characteristics of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Listen closely here, okay? Number one, emotionally unhealthy spirituality says no to reflection and self-awareness. Okay, number two, emotionally unhealthy spirituality says no to cultivating their personal relationship with God. And then number three, Emotionally unhealthy spirituality says no to being broken through setbacks and difficulties. Now I want to show you in this little story how Saul is guilty of all three of those things. And they, they really characterize his life. If you go through the whole life of Saul, except in the very beginning, this is what he did over and over and over. And it really led to his failure. He didn't have to, he didn't have to crash and burn. His story doesn't have to be a tragedy. God picked him to be king because he saw potential in him. But Saul didn't take certain things seriously. So emotionally unhealthy people say no to reflection and self-awareness. Now in this passage, uh, Saul is outwardly obedient, but inwardly he's just shallow. Samuel says to him, you didn't listen to God. You didn't pay attention. You know, you heard what you wanted to hear. You, you were, were gripped by something in your heart that you were ignorant of. And if you look at, uh, let's see, go back to that slide, if you could, where it, it describes what Saul said. When uh, Okay. He said, I was afraid of the people, so I gave in to them. Saul had this fear and insecurity he also had anger and jealousy in his heart. And that was shaping his life. It was shaping his decisions. But he was ignorant of those things. They just, 
They just roiled around in his soul and influenced him. And you'll, if you know his, his life very well, you can see that, that, that all these tragic decisions he made were, were driven by this turmoil inside him. And yet, you don't see Saul doing what David did. Was David was aware, constantly aware of what was going on inside him. He was constantly bringing that before the Lord and saying, God, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm upset, I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm discouraged, I'm, I've sinned. He just told God everything. But Saul, was just, he kept it in the vault. He kept it in the vault. Actually, that's where Seinfeld got the phrase, the vault. Okay, okay. <laughs> got to get some newer references to popular <laughs> culture. Okay. The thing about this first point is you can't be in touch with God unless you're in touch with your own heart. Saul was out of touch with his own heart. Now, I don't mean out of touch means you never feel anything. But we feel stuff all the time. But what we've all, many of us have learned to do is ignore it. It's inconvenient. It's hard to reflect. It's hard to be aware of what's going on inside us. We just rather stay busy. We just rather do the stuff that's before us. But all that, all that, those emotions that are roiling around inside you, they are going to drive and affect your life. And so Saul, he, he was a perfect example of what happens if you refuse to reflect. Uh, let's look next. Emotionally unhealthy people. Go to that next slide if you could, Mary. Uh, one more. Next one after that. There. Oh, no. Go back up. Sorry. Now you see why I never use PowerPoints. Uh, I have all this set up and I forget what I wrote. Okay. Emotionally unhealthy people say no to cultivating a relationship with God. Now, some of you are sitting here right now and you're, you're, you're going, you're talking about emotionally unhealthy people. I'm not an emotionally unhealthy person. All right? We don't like, we don't like to own that little description. All right? I just want you to... Stop for a second here, because I started to go to this point. I can feel it in the room. <laughs> Nobody wants to be, you know, the, the, the magazine, uh, magazine covers often have these tests on them. You know, it, it, uh, they, they come in a hundred forms. And they put those on the cover because people like to be in aware of, you know, of something about themselves, you know, do you measure up to something? And they do that because we all like to be sort of figured out. But when someone says to you, when you, when you do one of those little tests and, and, and you flunk completely, you go, ah, these things are stupid, right? I don't know why they put these on the covers, but if you know, you, you have a high IQ or, you know, you have whatever they're, they're measuring, you know, you feel, all right, I'm feeling pretty good. That's just, that's very human to be like that. Let this sink in, please. Try to put your guard down and let your pride go down. Let your insecurity go down. Because blessed, this is a point I make later in the, 
in this little message, but blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. That's the first beatitude. So Jesus says, it's not the together people who get the kingdom. It's the, it's the people who are poor in spirit, who are impoverished in character, and who know it, and because they know it, they move towards Jesus and his grace and his love for them. Because the world tells us if you are poor in anything, we want nothing to do with you. We will move away from you when we find out what you're really like. Because you don't measure up. But Jesus and his kingdom is totally right side up. That's an upside down way of looking at things. He says, if you're poor in spirit and you know it, I'm going to move towards you. Because you need me. Like Jesus said, the healthy don't need a doctor. But none of us in this room are healthy. That's why Jesus came for us. And we've got to drop that facade, that, those defenses, those guards, you know, the persona, all that, and, and just be vulnerable and be real. So an, an unhealthy person, an emotionally unhealthy person, will say no to cultivating a relationship with God. And Saul had a relationship with God. In fact, there was a point where the Holy Spirit came on Saul so powerfully that and he, he prophesied. And it was impacting the, 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 the way that God was working through his life. In fact, Saul was changed so radically in that experience that the people said, Saul's a prophet now. You know, he wasn't known for that before. But he had this incredible, powerful encounter with the Holy Spirit. But he never grew beyond that. That's just the starting place. We're supposed to grow in depth and breadth, but he didn't. And he was outwardly obedient, sort of, but like I said before, he had fear and jealousy and anger. This man tried to kill David over and over and over and over and over because he was jealous of David. He was afraid of David. He was insecure. It's a sad story to look at because God picked Saul when he was really humble. And he had this amazing purpose and plan for his life. But Saul let his insecurity just never be touched by the grace of God. He used his position to give him significance. And when his position was threatened in any way, he fought against whatever threatened it. And it just shows, like you know, I've often said, I've repeated a quote I heard from whoever it was I heard it from, <laughs> it wasn't original to me, that if you put your significance in anything you can lose, you put it in the wrong place. And if your significance, if you only feel good because of the job you have, or the title, or the house, or the wife, or the husband, or the kids, or the IRA, or being American, or being whatever, you have got your significance in the wrong place because you can lose every one of those things. I used to feel significant in my athletic abilities. <laughs> well, I haven't felt significant in a long time because of that. <laughs> All right? I'm surprised 
I find new aches and pains every day. Like parts of my body that never hurt before, they ache now when I get up. And a long time ago, though, I settled that. I just realized, wow, I don't, that, that doesn't matter. I'm grateful for this, but, it, you know, it, it doesn't matter. Have you, have you found that out, that, that you're important no matter what, period? Not you're important if or you're important because. You're important, period. God's given you significance, and, and it's in Christ. And nothing, you can't lose that. Well, emotionally healthy people stop and listen to their hearts, and they reflect, and they cultivate their relationship with God as a way of life, as a way of life. Now, I know we all struggle to find the rhythm of that, but it can be built into our lives. That's what this course is going to be about. How do I establish rhythms in my life that connect me with God so that his grace can just begin to be formed in me. So I can change day in and day out. Because if you look at anybody in, in your life that's spiritually mature and emotionally, emotionally healthy, they didn't get an infusion at some clinic one weekend and came out these amazing people or these you know, people whose lives are, are, are to be admired. That didn't happen. It was a lifetime of entering in these rhythms of connecting with God daily, of silence and solitude and reflection, and God's grace just being poured out over and over and over in their life. And the thing is, if you won't admit you're broken, you won't admit your need, and you won't seek God. And I hope in the course of these next couple of months that you will be able to see the ways that you've defended yourself against recognizing your weaknesses and your brokenness, and your hurts, and all the parts of you that are sort of hard to look at, and that you'll begin to say, God, I want to see those parts of my life in the light of your grace, because that's the safest place to see that stuff, because God never pushes us away. When, when, when we bring the ugly out, he doesn't go, oh, I can't even believe you're like that. He doesn't do that. When we bring the ugly out, we get an embrace. But the thing is, when you bring the ugly out, there is a part of you that just goes, I want to hide this as deeply, and I want to bury this as far down as possible, because I'm so ashamed of this. I don't like this part of myself. This is bad. And, and maybe, maybe even in a moral sense, it is bad. But God says, bring that out. Because if you bring it out, I will help you change. But if you hide it, it will fuel your life in terrible ways. Whatever we hide will thrive. Whatever we bring into the light will get transformed. But that process of bringing in the light, it's like it comes out, we bring it in the light, and then it goes back into hiding again. And we, we have to have this, these multiple exchanges with God usually to, to deal with those kinds of things. You can't be in touch with God without being in touch with your own heart. I said that. And Saul always heard from God. The reason why his relationship with God never grew, because the only time he ever got fed 
and heard from God was through preaching and teaching and prophetic words from other people. It was from the outside in. He hardly ever heard that still, small voice inside speak. The Jesus who lived inside him. Is is your life a rhythm of hearing from God inside and outside, inside and outside? Or is it just like Saul, where you only hear from God when you show up in a public meeting, when you hear a podcast, when you read scripture, when you get prophetic words, whatever? Or do you have a rhythm of cultivating a relationship with God where he speaks to you in your heart? You know, in 2 Timothy, what is it? 2 Timothy 2.19, it's also in the Gospels, but, but Paul says, the Lord knows those who are his. And on the last day, Jesus is going to say to people, I never knew you. Now, what does that mean? You ever wonder what that means? It's really simple. Relationship is, be, is built on self-revelation. And Saul never told God or other people who he was. David was telling God who he was all the time. Everything that was in, in David's heart, good, bad, and ugly, he was expressing it to God freely, and God was speaking to him. Saul kept it all stuffed down inside and hid it and looked good on the outside, and his life just blew up, melted down. He was a tragic figure in the Bible. The Lord knows us. But are we letting the Lord get to know us by telling him who we are and telling other people who we are? There should be people in our lives who know everything. Everybody should know everything. You can't trust everybody. Don't ever tell everybody everything. You're a fool if you do that. I mean that in the nicest way I can say it. All right? But you need to tell a few people you can trust everything. Just like you tell God everything. But here's the problem. A lot of us are out of touch of our own hearts. And because we've learned to push that stuff down and ignore it because other people ignored it. So we ignore it. And then we wonder why we don't have intimacy with God. We wonder why God doesn't feel close to me. Because you're not telling him who you really are. You're not, you, you don't know who you are. This is, goes back to that first point. If you don't learn to sit in quiet before the Lord, all the, the, the quiet stuff never comes up. We're all like the little turtle. You know, did you ever, when, when you were a kid, did you ever have a little, one of those little box turtles or little turtles? You know, you pick them up and play with them, and they, you know, they whoop, they pull their legs inside, pull their head inside, and you hold it, and you go, well, this isn't much fun, you know? You put it down, and all of a sudden, you know, the, the, the little, the, the, like the little head comes out. Is it safe yet? Is that big hand still here? You know, that picks me up. It's like I get disoriented. I'm going to stay in my nice, safe shell. We have to come out of our shells. We have to choose to do that. But it's scary to do that, isn't it? It's scary. But we have to trust that God will take care of us if we let that stuff out. And that intimacy that we want, we experience when we begin to open our hearts up and we tell God everything and we let him in there. The intimacy that you're looking for, so many people 
get turned off to Christianity. And the truth is, they really have all the right ideas down. They're, they're around the people of God. They, they believe the Bible and all this stuff. But the mistake that they make is they think that all these things, like Saul did, all these benefits will come to me if I just am around it. But there's no relationship where intimacy is ever achieved without self-revealing vulnerability, is there? There's, it never happens. And so people give up. On, they go, oh, this whole Christianity, the good news, it, it's, it, it offers me nothing. But they, they never went past the shallow end of the pool. And, and maybe you're sitting here and that's your story. And sometimes you wonder, why do I come? Why do I go to church? Why do I go to Bible study? Why do I go through this charade? Because it's not real. It's not real because you're not being real. This stuff is real. This stuff hangs around. It's hung around for 2,000 years and it's thriving everywhere. But it's thriving where people get real. We can go from the truth into real if we're willing to be real. The truth will become real to us to the degree that we become real to the, to the capital T, T truth. Okay? And last point, emotionally unhealthy people say no to being broken through difficulties and setbacks. Saul hated trials and difficulties, and God tested him through waiting. In 1 Samuel 13, just a couple of chapters before, God puts Saul in this tough spot where some, some armies are uh, marching against Israel. And so all the soldiers and everybody gets together and you know, they're going to gather for this celebration and pray and Saul's uh, going to lead the army and Samuel's going to prophesy and they're, they're waiting for Samuel to come and off, offer the sacrifice and they wait and they wait because the religious types are always late to things and they wait and they wait and as they're waiting and the, you know, the marching armies are getting closer the people start leaving. And Saul's army is getting smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. Instead of waiting until it was just him if he had to wait that long, because God doesn't need a big army, Saul decided he's going to play the role of the prophet and the king and the priest, which you can't do all those things, and he offers the sacrifice. And as soon as he's offering the sacrifice, Samuel shows up and goes, what are you doing? And he goes... Well, everyone was leaving, and I was like getting freaked out because, you know, God needs a big army, right? I need a big, he's really saying, I need a big army. And Samuel said to him, because you've done this, the Lord is going to take away your, your kingdom. Because that revealed something. That wasn't God being super harsh. That revealed a flaw in Saul it was going to, it's like a crack that was going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger because the direction Saul was going was, I'm, I'm not going to grow inside. I'm putting all my eggs in the, I'm the king basket and doing for God because isn't that what we're supposed to do? Do for God? And I'm going to win mighty battles for God because I'm a warrior. God wants lovers first. The best warriors come from lovers, from loyalty. But Saul, he didn't want to let that insecurity emerge 
And he didn't want to face it and feel it and deal with it so that he could change and grow. And so he just clung to the title of king until it slowly just was pulled from his grasp. Well, God tested him in this moment through waiting. And we only learn how much we need God through trials and difficulties. You never know how much you need God until a fresh trial comes along in your life and you see how little you have, how small your resources are. And trials come in lots of forms. For him, it was waiting. It's it just like, really? God, where are you? And, you know, when God's not there, you just feel the pressure of things, don't you? Sometimes you can, it, can, it can be an internal pressure that just gnaws at you and, and and it's hard to hold on and say, God, I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to do what you want. But that's that blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom. And we don't like to feel poor. We don't like to feel in want or in need. We don't like to see how small our resources are. We don't like to feel the pain of that. But God says, There's a, I won't let you feel that forever. Do you understand? I won't make you feel that forever. I'm not doing that, God says to you, to punish you. I'm doing that to help you be free of the attachment you have to things that cannot be what you want them to be. And you won't let go of them until you're made to, essentially. Now, there's a, the, the next slide in Deuteronomy 8. God told the Jewish people... At a, at a point in their lives, he was, Moses was uh, about to be stuck on one side of the, of the river and they were going on the other. And in chapter 8, verse 3 to 5, here's what God tells them. He says, God, Moses is speaking to the people. He says, He, God, humbled you, causing you to hunger and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your fathers had known, to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Your clothes didn't wear out. Your feet didn't swell during those 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, so the Lord your God disciplines you. And God was testing Saul to get Saul out of him. He wanted to get Saul out and more of his character, God's character and nature, into Saul. But it wasn't going to happen until it was tested. Until he was refined, until the worst came up, and then it could be taken away. So he made him wait. And the thing about Saul was, Saul couldn't wait a couple of hours. But if you know the story, parallel to Saul's story is the story of David. As it, it, when, when Saul disqualified himself, God sent Samuel to pick David. And he anointed David as king. A man nobody else he was the youngest member of his family. Uh, there's some suggestion that maybe he was an illegitimate son, because when all the sons came in to meet Saul, I mean to meet Samuel, they didn't bring David in. He was on the outside. Because in shepherds, that was like the, the worst kind of job that you could have. And he was out tending the sheep. And he was of no account. He was the youngest of the family, etc., etc., etc. And yet God picked him. Now, here's the thing. 
he had to wait seven years to become king. But you didn't see him doing all the crazy stuff that Saul did. David remained loyal to Saul when Saul was trying to kill him. I mean, just think about that. David embraced the trial of waiting that Saul rejected. And in our world today, in our culture, waiting is impossible. I mean, I find myself, it's scary how impatient I can be. I'm probably worse than you guys. But I shock myself sometimes. Because sometimes my kids have said to me, Dad, you're really patient. And I just go, if you only knew. If you only knew that what rises up inside me in traffic, waiting in lines, you know, any number of places calling for patience, I, I, can, I can find my patience is that. I got that much. We don't like to have, to hear the word no. Again, that's, that's part of our character that God wants to change because that's not the best part of us. And that part of us comes out at the worst times, doesn't it? That part that you don't want anybody to know about and that you, want, you don't even want God to know about, even though he already knows about it, you know, just between you and me. That part that you don't want to bring out when you have the ability to bring it out and experience God's grace will come out at the worst times and muck things up. So we always have a choice. You see? We have a choice. We can experience grace by bringing the worst parts of ourselves out willingly in appropriate settings. Or we can hide them and then they will come out and just create havoc. Because we can't not, we can't control them when we need to. Only grace can change those things that we can't control, but we have to be willing to choose to bring them out into the open. See? And adversity strips away illusion and brings authenticity. Don't you want to be an authentic person? Adversity will expose the illusory you, the fake you. By the grace of God, he brings adversity in our lives and we work as hard as we can to create a nice, comfortable world that, that fits our desires. God just messes it up. He just knocks the coffee cup right off the table, breaks it and spills the coffee on the floor and goes, well, that was a wonderful moment, wasn't it? But what came out of you wasn't wonderful, was it? But that's God who's and control of everything working for your good so you can grow and you can change. And, you know, again, the coffee spilling is a metaphor. So emotionally healthy people, they say yes to three things. And it's the opposite of what they said no to. They say yes to reflection and self-awareness as a way of life. They say yes to cultivating their personal relationship with God, to letting God know everything. They say yes to being broken through setbacks and difficulties. Now, during this EHS course, we're going to work on these themes in Sunday evenings. And some of you have looked at this course and go, because I, I know you guys are really excited about it, because we've got three people signed up for it. <laughs> so you're all in hiding. You're all in hiding. I get it. 
But if you want to mature in your life, you got to deal with this stuff. And you got to make time for it. Someone said to me, this is on Valentine's Day. And I said, this is the best gift you could give your spouse. Honest. And I'm not just being a salesman. I mean, can you think of something better that you can give your spouse on Valentine's Day than a better you? Show the person that you care about that, that you're willing to face some difficult things for their sake. I know one thing. There's hardly a more romantic thought that can come into someone's mind, whether they recognize it or not, than that kind of a gift. And we want to get into this more deeply. Now, I want you to see there's 10 symptoms of emotionally unhealthy spirituality. We're going to close with these and we'll pray. Number one, when we're emotionally unhealthy, we use God to run from God. We stay busy for God because we don't want to stop and just be in God's presence and sit before Him and not say anything even and just listen because when we get quiet, all this stuff comes up. So we justify our active lives by saying, well, I'm doing a lot for God. That isn't what God needs. He said to Saul, you weren't listening. You weren't listening to me. You were willing to sacrifice and do all these great things for me. I just wanted you to listen. I just wanted you to pay attention to me. Secondly, ignoring the emotions of anger, sadness, and fear, and how, God, how is God coming to me through these It took, it's taken me, I'm still working on it, it's taken me a long time to just become aware when I'm angry inside. And you may think, really? Yeah. You're way more angry than you know on a more consistent basis than you're aware of. We all are. It's just part of us being out of touch with what's going on inside us. And later on, Saul... David came in once because Saul was really sort of out of his mind. And David came in and, and played music and calmed Saul down. And at a certain point in the middle of this, of David coming in and serving Saul, after he'd been out fighting Saul's battles, he's, he's singing worship songs to Saul and calming Saul down. And Saul gets upset, just kind of just flies into a, a rage, grabs his spear and tries to kill David with it. All this, can you imagine that? You're in, you're, you're in worship. I mean, what would you think if we're in the deepest kind of worship you've ever seen at this church? All of a sudden, some guy goes like this. He's going, oh, praise God, praise God. He looks at the person next to him, just goes, bam, just knocks him out. You might think, that guy has issues. <laughs> I, think, I think we need to help him. But have you ever done anything not that extreme? But where you go from one sort of, frame of mind, into a completely altered kind of state of consciousness in a moment? It's not because it's a demon. It's because what's inside you is suddenly broken to the surface because something triggered it. It wasn't created by the circumstances. You're carrying it around inside you. It's there. Third, dying to the wrong things. So much of, of our evangelical culture 
tells us to die to self, but a lot of times we're dying to the good things God's given us. We're dying to dreams he's put in our hearts. Holy good things. And really, the dying to self is we're kind of bargaining with God. God, if I give you this thing, will you give me this other thing? When you think God's holding anything back from you, you really think there isn't anything he doesn't want to give you if he gave you his son, Jesus? He died in your place. Do you really think he's going to hold anything back from you? No. But that's part of the problem with emotionally unhealthy spirituality. Denying the past's impact on the present. We've, we've kind of talked about this, but the whole book of Genesis is about how the past affects the present for all time. From family to family, generation to generation. Fifth, dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. Forgetting about God while we're working, recreating, whatever. We all do this. It's a part of this, this schism in our hearts is we separate spiritual from secular, where God is not. There's no place where God is not. Thank God there's no place where he's not. But we, we live like we can live one way here and another way here. We really, that's, a, that's a, an unnatural divide. But that unnatural divide comes from our hearts, and it works up into our heads, and then it works out into our lives. Sixth, doing for God instead of being with God. To cover that point, spiritualizing away conflict. We think that when there's an opportunity where there's tension between people, that we should just ignore that and just, you know, be the bigger person and, and take the higher road instead of talking about it and saying, what's going on here? Now, I know there is a time to be patient and long suffering, but we do that all the time and we never talk about this crap that's going on. And that is a sign we're not emotionally healthy. Because that's peacekeeping, not peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they're the children of God. Peacekeepers, well, you, know, you look around the world and see how that works. The blue helmet is not the symbol of Christianity. I mean, the notion, the idea of we want to make peace is good. But the means of doing it, the way that a lot of people go at it, it's, it, it makes it worse. And that's an emotional thing. Covering over brokenness, weakness, and failure. Living without limits. Number nine, not letting God stop you. You know, we all have limits. Rhythm is built into our lives. Right now, your hearts are beating. They contract, boom, then they rest. Work, rest work rest that is the design of god we're supposed to work six days rest one we're supposed to have seasons of work and seasons of rest rhythm is a part of life daylight nighttime tide comes in tide goes out life is rhythms our rhythm is pedal the metal baby Put it in fifth gear, you know, just put, put it up to 11,000 RPM until the engine block melts. The chronic illness that we have in, uh, among us is, is partly because of this, because we, we won't accept limits, because we think God doesn't want us to be limited. No, that's what the world says to you. That's what the devil says to you. 
Don't deny yourself anything. You can't do that. It's unhealthy. Ten, judging the spiritual journeys of other people. When I've been at my most emotionally unhealthy, I've been the most judgmental. Now, you may not see the connection between that. You may hear me saying, oh, John, sounds like you're watering down standards because there's right and there's wrong. No, you know, I've said this to you before, so I won't belabor it, but when Jesus said, you see your brother have some kind of problem, like they got something stuck in their eye, he said, your first step is not to go to them and pull that thing out of their eye. Your first step is to get... Make sure there's nothing in your eye. There might not be anything in your eye. But your first step is to check your own eye first. But see, if we aren't cultivating a rhythm of self-awareness, our first step is to fix everybody else. And that's just another way of avoiding dealing with the stuff we have to deal with. And if you see a judgmental person, you're seeing an emotionally broken person. Which, every time all of us look in the mirror, we're looking at an emotionally broken person. But some emotionally broken people are on a journey where they're going, I don't want to stay this way any longer than I have to. The other group of people are going, I'm going to fix you. That's my job in life. I'm going to change the world for God. No, God's going to change the world when we start letting him change us, then we become deputized by him to lovingly, humbly connect with other people. And then we can't take things out of people's eyes and be involved in that delicate, delicate operation. Do you see, I mean, I, I, I hope some of this is sinking in you know, or, or another way of putting it, like I've been trying to, to, to drive this nail into the wood of your heart for a while. And I think I, I tapped a couple of more times today, but are you letting it go in? Which of these 10 things that we put up on the board here, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you one minute just to sit with the Lord and ask him, Lord, is, are, is, are any of these things and play in my life. And, and Mary, put the first five back up there again. I just, you just look at it. I'm going to wait for a minute.
So here's the good news. It's not comfortable to even think that you might have something on the, one of the, you might find one of those 10 points at play in your life. It's even more uncomfortable to have to pick out one, right? You're 10 for 10? There's an honest man. The good news is, put this next passage up, Mary. This is the promise. God delights. He delights in a broken and contrite heart. You know, between, in interreligious arguments, you can pull that one out and say, this is what God's like. He delights in people who are broken. But not just broken, but who are contrite about their brokenness that say, I don't want to be this way. But this is who I am. And none of us are going to get off this rock not being broken until Jesus returns or until we die and he calls us home, we're all broken. The question is, will we experience his delight in us in our brokenness or not? It's just, it's the secret of the cross. It seems crazy that God would reveal himself through a, a tragedy where a, a, a man is unjustly condemned and suffers and dies. It's just this picture that, that just defies all logic and the way every human heart works. But it's because our hearts are not aligned with God anymore. He says that's where his, his wisdom is revealed at the cross, and that's where his power is revealed in, in Jesus' weakness, in, the, in the, the craziness of it. And, and we can experience this day in and day out, the power of that message, the power of the cross, if we'll just say, i got to own this. And the difference between Saul and David was this. They were both a hot mess. Saul ran away from grace and David ran towards it. Saul hid his hot messness and David said, I'm a sinner. I've sinned. He wrote songs about his sin that we sing today. There's two psalms that David wrote about his notorious life. And, and God celebrated him and said, this is a person after my heart. And you can be a person like David after the heart of God if you're willing to embrace that statement that you're broken and you want to be contrite. And I'm not saying going through this course is going to solve that. But the heart, the message of the cross, and working this into the area of our lives is really, really important. It isn't going to happen going the direction you're going, most likely. 
And it isn't going to happen if you try to do it on your own. It's going to happen when you line up with other people who are, who are trying to work on the same things in their lives. So why don't you stand with me and let's pray and we'll close. And, and if what I've said today has, has, you know, chinked the armor a bit, I encourage you to sign up for the class, Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. It's, there's the, the little FYI cards on the back, chair back in front of you. Put your name and stuff on it, drop it in the box, a wood box on the way out. And let's go on this journey together. Father, uh, we're sorry that, that we've hidden and run from your grace. It's just been foolish. But Lord, other people taught us this, and it's no excuse, but thank you for helping us to see, again, to have a moment of clarity here this morning. And we want to go on this journey. And Lord, we want to bring other people along with us. Give us the courage that it takes for this vulnerability and and just to, to bring the stuff out, Lord, that's wrecking our lives and to bring it out before you and, and people we can trust. Thank you for the good news. And, and uh, we just want to welcome your presence into our lives. Thank you for forgiving us today for the way we've, we've run and hidden from your grace. Every one of us, Father. Thank you that, that you've pursued us and you've, you've ceaselessly, tirelessly pursued us with your love. And in Jesus' name, we want to welcome, and through your son Jesus, we want to welcome that grace this morning. We just surrender our lives, Lord, to your grace. Advance us in, in this journey of becoming emotionally healthy and spiritually mature. And I, I pray each, over each one of you that are here today that God's grace and peace would remain on you. And whatever point of vulnerability that you've come to in this moment, that in Jesus' name you'd be able to sustain that and grow in it, that you'd become more like the one who went on the cross and exhibited vulnerability and childlikeness beyond it, what anybody's ever known. May that just be formed in you in a new way today. In Jesus' name, amen.